I want to talk to you a little bit about wells, wells of faith. Say wells of faith. We'll begin taking a text for no other reason than to say we did Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. Now, when? Faith is now. Now is faith. God never leaves the present tense. He is not the God of the past. He is not the God of the future. There is no future to God. He is always in the perfect present tense. That's how he never ages. Brother Summerall told me one time, he said, preachers get tired because they're always thinking about what they've done or they're always thinking about what they have yet to do. Some of y'all wear yourself out thinking about what you did three days ago. Others of you wear yourself out thinking about what you have to do next week. Why don't you just exist in the now? Because right now you're healed. Right now you're delivered. Right now you're set free. Right now you're born again. Right now you're holy. I'm going to find one you like. Right now you're Holy Ghost filled. If you stop shouting, I stop preaching. I am an audience participation. Shout now. Now is not at this moment, at this time, in this season. Now, in the biblical sense, is at this time, in this season, in this moment, watch the bouncing preacher, henceforth and hereafter. Because the prophet in your Bible and mine declared what God does, he does forever. Did he ever heal you? Then it's never coming back. No, this affliction shall not arise a second time. Get on the word, somebody. Now, faith is the substance, the tangibility of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not perceived with your natural senses. When I built this building, they called a neighborhood meeting. I set it up nicely. We had little finger foods. We did not have quiche because no respectable hillbilly even know what quiche is. We think velour is lavure. Just, we just don't understand that. I want you to understand that now is a present progressive tense verb. That's a whole lot of words. That's $5 worth of words. What it means is you can't be tired by your past nor bound by it because you're not there. The only thing you can influence is your now. Shout yes. Now, faith is the substance of things you hope for. When I was building this building, they called that little meeting. And all of the neighbors gathered around, and they all acted real nice for a minute. They drank my punch and ate my sandwiches. And then a rather portly gentleman stood up and cleared his throat and said, Young man, I was pretty young. I was 29. We had gone from a 180-seat building that we filled up five times in a year and a half. Another year later, 
we built 400 seats and the second week filled them up five times. Then a year later, we moved into a 1,200 seat building. It took us six weeks to fill that one up five times a week. And seven and a half years from the time my uncle said, why don't we start a church in Pickerington, we moved in here. 5,200 seats and within three months filled it up three times a week. You're looking at me strange. That seven and a half years, I had no backing. We had no wealthy people. The first meeting, we had 17 people. Five of them were not my family. I didn't have any denomination. I didn't have anything supporting me but a vision. And God said, I want you to build 3,700 seats. So I did. But I walked in it one day, and I told the building contractor and my dad, I said, if we raise this part up, we can tuck the restrooms underneath it, and we can put those seats in for one-tenth what these seats cost, and we added 1,500 seats back there. So they had a meeting, all the farmers, because that's all there was here, just farms. The next road toward 70, called Tusing, was dirt at that time. There were no houses. There were no businesses. There was corn and soybeans as far as you could see. And then this thing looked like a spaceship let down out of heaven. And, of course, the farmers were all disturbed. They said, what do you think you're doing? Just like that. I was only 29. If I wasn't so full of God, they'd have scared me. They said, what do you think you're doing? And the man that sold me this property was sitting over in the corner real sheepish. I said, Wilbur, why don't you tell him what I'm doing? Since you sold it to me. And he just started counting ceiling tiles. They said, you are putting the people of your congregation under an undue burden. No one has ever built a 5,200 seat building in this city. I said, no, you're exactly right nor east of the Mississippi River or north of the Mason-Dixon. They said, we've heard, and they talked real quiet. They said, we've heard, and they went like this, you have black people in your church. I said, black, brown, Yellow, even a few white folk. They said, are you going to have 5,200 people here this Sunday? I said, I shall. They said, you mean to tell me you're going to put 5,000 people pulling out on our roads? And they said, and y'all churches don't even pay taxes. 
I said the people that put the money in the plates do. They said, well, do you have the money to pay for that today? I said, I shall. They said, what do you mean? I said, well, Mark 11, 22 to 24 says, have faith in God, and I do. And, and I said, and the Bible says, whosoever shall say this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, believe those things that he saith shall come to pass. I said, keep up there, Wilbur. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, what things soever I desire, when I pray, I believe I receive them, and I shall have them. Look at your neighbor and say, I shall. What the devil going to do with somebody that knows they shall be healed, they shall be blessed, the burden shall be lifted, the victory shall come. I dare you to praise him right up in here right now. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not perceived with the natural senses. I'm trying to give you a fill-up. Shout, fill me up. We are stewards. Say that word. That's a Christian word, you know, stewards. That means one who takes care of, one who stands guard over as one used to their virgin daughters. I said used to. Some of y'all dads need a baseball bat. You know, do you know, I'm going to tell the whole wide world this. Do you know you can go to the store and buy a little thing, what connects, just clicks on the bottom of your child's car, and it will tell your cell phone everywhere they go? Well. They have a right to their privacy when they pay in their own way. You mean you go through your children's drawers? I did when they lived with me. You bet your bottom dollar I did. And their cell phone and their computer and every, I looked under the covers in between the mattress. You said, what about their privacy? These folks over here will tell you their parents gave them too much privacy. How many of you wish mom and dad had kept a little closer eye on you? I wish you'd shout. We're stewards of the experiences and the revelations and the impartations and the anointings of our legacy, meaning those people that went before us because no anointing, yoke-destroying, burden-removing anointing ever leaves the earth. Whatever anointing was, still is. It's just waiting on an Elisha, watching Elijah go up and pick up that mantle. And every generation, it multiplies in power. No vision, no revelation, no instruction, no experience of our spiritual parents should ever fail to reverberate throughout our lives and throughout the church. I live by faith because my spiritual father dug a well of faith. His name was Dr. Lester Summerall. In our first meeting, he said to me, would you like to know what faith is? I said, yes, sir. 
when you come back next Sunday morning, or tune in next Sunday, I'll tell you what he told me. No, you're supposed to get mad now. He said faith is simply knowing God. Do you? Do you know him or do you know about him? Are you living in your encounter, your experience? Or are you shouting about somebody else's revelation of him? Don't you think it's time you got your own? Well, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, for it was they, I'm talking to you Austin Chandler, this is a good message for your 30th birthday. For it was they who brought you the word of God. And considering the result of their conduct, the outcome of their godly lives, imitate their faith. Say, I'm an imitator. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16 says, The faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Write this down somewhere. You can never have Abraham's blessing with the Thomas kind of faith. If you got to see it, touch it, hear it, smell it, that's not faith. Faith is the substance of things that you're hoping for. Now, Genesis chapter 26, verse 18. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines, their enemies, had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. That anointing, that revelation, that power, that knowledge of God lay dormant. From the beginning of time, Fathers and families, cities and nations have fought off armed intruders whose goal was to plunder and pollute their most precious commodity. What would that be, you think? Their supply of fresh water. The situation we find ourselves in this very morning mirrors the crisis faced by the patriarch Isaac, the father like us of a generation in transition. He being the second in line of the ancient patriarchs, Isaac surveyed the scene and he surmised that a stopped up well could neither satisfy thirst nor sustain life. Seventy years earlier, his father Abraham, the father of our faith, dug wells to supply water for his flocks, for his family, for his fields. But now those very wells had been stopped up by his adversaries. They'd been left abandoned and useless. Isaac knew that to survive in a dry and thirsty land. I didn't mean to talk to you about most churches. In order to survive in a culture gone mad, in a divided nation, a divided church, a divided political system, in order 
to regain a boundless supply of living water, he would have to redig his father's wells. Position to possess, Isaac must now set up a homestead. Shout, set up a homestead. He must dig a well and he must sow his seed. Set up a homestead, dig a well, sow a seed. Set up a homestead, dig a well, sow a seed. So as you and I reflect this morning on Isaac's well-digging expedition, the opportunity to consider some of the mighty fountainheads of our faith that have been shut off and stopped up in the current backslidden condition of the modern church, once, at one time, those wells were powerful, prominent fountains that flowed as channels of great spiritual blessing. But today, they become antiquated aqueducts. They lay void of any spiritual substance or ability to sustain life. In the most critical hour, that's where we are, in the most critical hour of church history, the fight you and I face to reopen the ancient wells of our fathers is unprecedented in proportion and importance. We find ourselves facing a formidable foe. To succeed, we must clearly identify our enemy. We must also unveil his tactics. We must realize that this is a prophetic hour of spiritual, watch me, confrontation. The church that claims to uphold the claims of Christ and yet condemns confrontation is just a social club that wants rain with no thunder and lightning. They long to avoid the devil's demilitarized zone by avoiding confrontation at any cost. We are engaged at this very moment in an eternal combat with a relentless, desperate, unseen spiritual force. Your Bible says a lot about wells. It was at a well in the deserts of Beersheba that Hagar and Ishmael were delivered from death. At Jacob's well, Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman, offered her living water for which she'd never, ever thirst again. It was at a well near the pool of Bethesda where the waters were troubled by an angel. And the first to step in was immediately made whole of their torment and their plague. Blood from the daily sacrifices on Temple Mount was washed down the Kidron Valley and into the Dead Sea by a stream in the bottom of the Kidron Valley, the pool of Gion, the virgin's fount. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. Do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. It's past time. It's high time, it's our time 
to redig the wells of our fathers and rid them of doubt and dead doctrine of religion and rhetoric and reclaim our rightful spiritual inheritance and our lost power and anointing. Jeremiah 2 weeps, weeping prophet. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. In an hour of intense spiritual drought, I am so weary. I am so weary with shirtless preachers on Instagram. I am so weary of seeing the breasts of preachers' wives hanging out for the entire world. See, you don't even know what to shout about anymore. I'm so tired of the homosexual and lesbian agenda being crammed down the throats of our children that I can't take it. Somebody has got to rise up. Put some clothes on. Get rid of your liquor. Get drunk on some new wine. Pray. Seek his face. Worship. Get endued with power from on high. Stop living in the spiritual flatlands of mundane, mediocre spiritual experience. Stop. Honey, I'm doing my best. Preach. What are we doing? has to be happy. God never called you to be happy. God called you to be holy because there is power, wonder-working power in holiness. The pure, the more pure, the fuel, the hotter it burns and the more power is released. I wish I had half a church. Here's what we've done. We've exchanged the clear life-giving fountains of sound doctrine from a bunch of preachers that need to find a Bible for a stagnant, murky little sip drawn from the ruptured wells of political and cultural correctness. Popular opinion and mob mentality and we shudder in our spiritual shocking stockings of the cancel culture. They've tried to cancel that book. They burned it. They banned it. They buried it in a borrowed tomb. But there's something amazing about the truth. Ah, you can't bury the truth. 
because the truth will resurrect itself and beat the pallbearers back to the house and shake your hand when you get to the door. You can't silence truth. You can't cancel truth. You can't block truth. You can't ban truth. I thought I had somebody to preach to today. Every bit of this is the result. Watch me. Watch where I point. Everybody point up here. Point right here. Zero in. Point right here. Powerless pulpits. You backslidden, milksop, milquetoast, so-called evangelical preacher. You're nothing more than an entertainer. Your pulpit's filled with compromising pretend preachers. We are suffering right now from a dangerously acute case of spiritual dehydration. We're dizzy. We can't find our balance. We have no backbone to stand up in the face of adversity. We have no revealed word. We've got something from Look Magazine, Reader's Digest, or Psychology Today. Where have all the preachers gone? Right in the middle of an information explosion from social media platforms and instant internet access, all that's available to you right there where you're sitting right now in the palm of your hand. So there's a rush to download every new wind of doctrine and delete foundational truth, dismissing it as old school, just fables, just yesterday's news. Like the philosophic, the academic, the cultural and social and religious elites that the Apostle Paul addressed at Mars Hill. We've secularized the sanctuary. Always seeking some new, shiny object of worship. Just a little more flashy, just a little more hip, just a little more entertaining, just a little more worldly than the church down the road. Listen, listen. Eternal truth cannot be reduced to a 60-second Instagram post or a tweet or a tip-top or whatever the thing is. Nor can it be distilled into a 30-minute soundbite performed for the cameras by some People's Choice Award-winning preacher speaking from the shallow, cloudy cistern of some new and improved, reimagined, redefined, re-envisioned version of the gospel, which is no gospel at all. Only the refreshing, spiritual, thirst-quenching waters of old-time religion. 
that the old song said was good for Paul and Silas. And it's good enough for me. Only that can quench the raging fires of rebellion and racism, of hatred and hypocrisy, of promiscuity and perversion that are so prevalent in the backslidden pulpits and church pews of our day, all spawned by this God-hating, God-denying, God-less culture. As a result of drinking in the dross from the polluted cisterns of therapeutic philosophy, the medicalization of deviant behavior, and the bankrupt warble of excuse-making, here it comes, a victim mentality has become the standard of its day. Here's its mantra. I'm not responsible. How dare you blame me? It's not my fault. Somebody else is to blame. Personal responsibility anything that would appear to be accountability, have been replaced by a me-centered church built on messages that satisfy the so-called Christian who constantly demand your kingdom rights and avoid devotion, avoid sacrifice, avoid service like the COVID-19 pandemic. We want everything. We sacrifice nothing. How dare preachers say we should come to church every Sunday? I'm supposed to relax. Relax? You got six days to do that. And by the way, a five-day, 40-hour work week, that was devised by the devil. Not by the word of God. God said a man ought to work six days and rest one. Oh, look at y'all looking at me. You want to you stay at home and have other people work to pay you. See, you don't even know how to react. I'm not here to win friends and influence people. I'm here to speak the truth. You don't work, you don't eat. That's what the book says. And the book is right and they are wrong. The Bible has now often been used as some sort of new age self-help manual to hold God hostage and demand he do what our flesh wants. Faith used as an escape hatch at best <laughs> or to satisfy our own self-indulgences at worst. We use our faith to get a new car, not to get the sin out of our lives. We try to use faith to see what celebrity we can snuggle up to instead of finding a closet where we can find him. Oh, you're not shouting now. The mighty, convicting, and convincing power of the Holy Ghost has been completely excommunicated.
Don't talk to me about conviction. You're condemning me. You don't know the difference between conviction and condemnation. And the Holy Ghost, you know, come on. He just takes up so much time. He's just so, you know, you know, embarrassing. Does it have to be so loud? What do they think? They're in a nightclub? A nightclub is a poor demonic representation of what the church is supposed to be like. They don't have the joy. We have the joy. They don't have the peace. We have the peace. They're not blessed. We're blessed. I wish I had half a church. I know you want some syrupy, sweet pablum served up. You're in the wrong place. Tremendous, solid, cardinal doctrines of our faith, like divine healing, are now called by preachers denying science. Oh, like the masks? Like governments making us stick needles in our children's arms when there's absolutely no scientific evidence that children are carriers? What? What? I mean, take a shot if you want to. Take 30. Wear 42 masks. Just don't tell me that the government can tell me and my family what to do. That's not your job. Healing has become nothing more than fodder for late night talk show hosts who are unfortunately talent-deprived, humor-dispossessed to make fun of. Counseling has masqueraded as deliverance. Seances have replaced true worship. We've exchanged the living water for an imitation, abbreviated, abridged gospel, which has only the form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. It's time to redig the wells. It's time to clear away the dust, get rid of the dirt, throw off the stones that have choked off the fountains of living water and the floodgates of faith. The wells of the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther were revolutionary, disturbing the individual and disrupting the church so it was in Geneva under Calvin so it was in Germany under Luther in England under Wesley Ian Bounds dug a well and proclaimed the absolute necessity of prevailing prayer John Wesley 
paved a highway of holiness, dug a well of truth that every professing Christian in the world should seek to discover. Charles Finney did what I'm about to do in Ironton and Chillicothe. Charles Finney renounced religion, dug a well that burst forth into a mighty revival. Martin Luther denounced the doctrine of salvation by works, dug a well and shouted, the just shall live by faith. Dr. Lester Sumrall dug a well and demonstrated the power of the Holy Ghost of deliverance over every work of the devil and the demon hordes of hell. I'm closing. To those that dug, to those that dug, living, life-giving wells by faith, we owe a great, great, great debt of gratitude. We owe our very lives to the apostle and the prophet, to the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher to every martyr and every reformer, to every scholar and translator, to every composer and to every missionary and Sunday school teacher. After redigging the wells of his father, Isaac dug a new well. He called it Rehoboth, the open place. Like a mighty roaring wave of the ocean. If you and I will simply go back if we will simply return to the discarded values of the past, we'll be propelled forward, down, through the birth canal of Father God and Mother Time to our own Rehoboth, to our open place, as God Almighty gives birth to a brand new kind of faithful believer that the devil in this perverse culture have never had to deal with. You may have been pushed down, pushed back. You may have been pushed aside. But this very day, in the name above every name, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whose I am and whom I serve, I declare and decree by faith that by the power of the glorious Holy Ghost of God, you are about to break through every line of Satan's defense. Every sickness, every sin, every demon, depravity, disease, into a place of overwhelming triumph, into a life of robust and rugged, strong and sturdy, vigorous and victorious, great faith. Shout, it's mine. We've reached a strategic inflection point. We've, we've come into contact with divine truth. We can no longer be satisfied with the mundane and mediocre, lifeless and faithless Christianity. No, sir. No, ma'am. We've got a decision to make. Our Father's wells wait to be reopened. We will either ignore them and die in this wilderness and wasteland of spiritual doubt, drought, and deprivation, or we will redig them and live by faith. Just under the surface, in the spirit, I sense a stirring. The waters are being troubled. This day, this hour, this very moment, let you and I determine to redig the wells and release the mountain moving, life saving, heaven securing faith of our fathers. Let's do it today.
Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.